Hello and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm sure so many of you have goals. In my experience, I've learned that we are much better able to succeed in life when we navigate it in partnership with someone who cares about us. At the Fresh Start Hub, we care about our listeners and our community. To support you in achieving your career goals in 2021, we are launching a free mentorship program designed to help you build your professional network and get a head start on your career journey to success. The registration for the January session is now open and you can register at www.thefreshstarthub.com forward slash mentorship. Registration would close soon and I encourage you to register as soon as possible. Please don't procrastinate. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Fresh Start Podcast. This is a show where we share success principles, explore the stories, experiences, and journey of real people in order to provide newcomers with strategies to succeed. Like you all know, my name is David Ojainka. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Jenny Buzugwe. Jenny moved to Canada in 2015 to study advertising at Umber College. She also earned a Master of Management Innovation and Entrepreneurship from the Smith School of Business at Queen's University. The cultural shock she experienced when she arrived to Canada led her to create a startup called The Journey of Canada, a company that serves over 10,000 newcomer students, professionals, and entrepreneurs on navigating life in Canada. Having spent most of her life as a student, Jenny is an advocate for personal development for young professionals in tech and women in leadership, helping people shine their light unapologetically through her business and in her current role as strategic account director at Black Professionals in Tech Network. Please help me in welcoming Jenny Zube. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Jenny. Thank you so much, David, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's let's have fun today. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, it's gonna be fun, I'm sure. Um, so to 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 kickstart this conversation, um, there's a story behind every decision, like I read in your bio right now. And you mentioned you you put it in your bio that you know you've gone through different paths. And it's been a roller coaster ride for you. Can you take us through that journey? What's led you to coming to Canada, making that decision, and how it has been so far? Okay. Um, so my bio will tell you is that that I wanted a, um, a career that was less defiant and more colorful, which is true. But obviously, bios are bios, and they're not all encompassing as to the main reasons. So there's a couple reasons that made me think, okay, I needed to leave Nigeria and can't move. First of all, I really love to say and let everyone know that I'm probably Nigerian, first of all. <laughs> and just repping the flag, you know, repping the flag. But um, growing up, I'm the first girl um, of, of four children. Right? I have an older brother, and we'll talk about him later on because he's very instrumental in my story. But my brother moved away from Nigeria when he was um, 16 to Canada. And so I became quote-unquote, the firstborn, like taking up the responsibilities of taking care of my sisters and the family. I was literally the family's project manager. And so um, when my brother and I separated from each other, my mom at the time promised me that, and this was way like in high school, my mom promised me that um, if I wanted to meet him again or if I wanted to like be with him again, I could always do a master's later on in life. Obviously, I was still in, like, I was barely in high school, so that was so far-fetched. Well, fast forward until the time I was done with university in Nigeria, and I had started working in tech. I was a network analyst of one of the um, government agencies in Nigeria. It was tough, like coming every day to work, the people are loafing around, not doing much with their time. That wasn't quite me. I'm a very energetic person. I always love to serve. And quite frankly, I'm, I kind of like being busy, which is something I'm reframing now. So I just knew that I wasn't going to work. And even though my dad had some influence and most kids in my age group or my peer group were having their parents have them find um, a career path that was more fulfilling, 
my dad had just always told me that his influence, his network wasn't mine, that I needed to carve my own path. And looking around Nigeria, I was just like, okay, this is almost going to be impossible. Be again, because my industry was filled with a lot of men and it was just not working. So I decided I was gonna to come to Canada and study and take my masters. And then I applied to a bunch of schools and no one would take me. But thankfully, um, because there's the mindset coming from Nigeria is masters or nothing else. Like you finish your bachelor's, you do your masters. And if you want to impress your parents and make them even more proud of you, you do a PhD. So I hadn't considered anything else other than a master's. But my brother who had lived here for a while told me, hey, you know, there's this thing called postgraduate certificates. They're even more influential in a master's because you're also looking to do something more creative. And so when I, that was when I applied to Humber College to study um, postgrad in advertising. And then that faced its own battles. So to answer your question about the reasons I wanted to move is I wanted higher education first and foremost. I wanted to do something less defined um, in the sense that I wanted something to explore my creative side because growing up, everyone has always told me I have an amazing personality that is great for media. And I also just wanted to branch out of living with my parents and like handling the entire family. I wanted to focus on me for a little bit. So those were all the reasons at the time why I moved from, Can um, from Nigeria to Canada. And how it has been, oof, that's an entire conversation that I'm willing to have with you right now. So, yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you so much for that. And um, you mentioned that you, you had a conversation with your brother, you wanted to do a master's degree, but your brother um, told you about this postgraduate certificate. Um, before you left the shores of Nigeria, did you have a picture of how life was going to be like, like in Canada? And um, what were the plans you had for yourself before um, taking off from Nigeria? So before moving to Canada, I, I had actually visited Canada maybe four or five times at the time because my brother has been living here for what, almost a decade before. And so I had a different outlook. Like I've always looked at, like every time I came to Canada, it was we go to the CN Tower, we go to Niagara Falls, we're chilling, we're not calculating how much money we're spending, we're literally on vacation. And so it was with that mindset and that preconceived notion that I was going to have fun and not have to deal with the family stress, but also learn. And I wasn't thinking too far ahead, to be honest. Like I try not to do too, too much long planning because so I don't get um, disappointed. So I had thought I would do my master's, maybe work a year or two and go back to Nigeria. I hadn't thought about staying permanently. I had considered it, but I hadn't definitively said I was moving. So when I showed up in Canada and it was real, it was not the glamorous stuff. My brother wasn't buying me a lot of things. He was just like, where's your money? I was like, wait, what do you mean where's my money? So a lot of things started to evolve from that that actually gave me that, okay, you're not a tourist, this is real, this is not a drill. Um, for instance, showing up to school, like I did not get my study permit till about a week before school started. So that was stressful already. And it was so funny because my mom even threw a surprise um, send forth party when I didn't have my study permit. And she's like, oh, that's fate. That was like funny. Um, but I remember landing in Canada mm -hmm. a day before school started. And so the next day I was very jet lagged. I couldn't really like network, meet a bunch of people. And so that kind of like set the tone for um, how I landed tired. However, like classes started, it started getting better. I was just really excited because the difference with being a tourist and living in Canada for me now became, I was not only just saying hey to strangers, I was meeting new people and forming a new family and a new set of friends that will be very instrumental in my life here in Canada because I had to form new relationships. Okay. You mentioned that you met new people um, when you came to Canada. Um, did that play any key role in how your journey has evolved over time? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, if, like, if you see my LinkedIn, for instance, I consider myself a people whisperer. I love having conversations with people, meeting new people, especially folks from different backgrounds and um, ethnicities and thoughts. It's just, it just always blows my mind. And so when I got to my first program in Humber, I was the only black girl. There was another black person, but he was a guy. And this was a class of almost 50 people. 
and I didn't notice to be honest I just knew okay there's no other person that looks like me because typical typical of most Nigerians looking for the other Nigerian in the room and I just obviously there was none and so I had to make new friends um, and with that I learned so much about other cultures things that I would not have known easily if I was still in Nigeria. I knew about like issues in Venezuela and what the money is. I learned about Indian culture. I learned about different holidays. And with that, I had access to their networks as well. Like my one friend whose dad is a doctor in Venezuela taught me some stuff. Um, some of my Canadian friends I met here explained to me a little bit more about schools like Queen's University and um, the, the prestige it has because, and that was like, and that was how I decided I was going to do my master's there, right? So just being open to meeting new people and it was uncomfortable because sometimes they're like, huh, you said what? And I'm like, listen to me, it's an accent, but you'll be fine because you have one too, <laughs> right? And so with that, it was uncomfortable at first, but I just knew that it was, I'm an absolutely amazing person when you get to know me. So with that, I knew that um, when people get to know me, they will have fun too. But I just opened my horizons to meeting new people. And that obviously helped me with internships, helped me with career access, access to their personal networks. I remember the first time I went to a cottage, right? Like if I only hung out with Nigerians, I would probably not have had access to that. But I went to college in the middle of white Ontario, which is like very North. And it was a different experience but something I definitely don't regret, but I knew that that came from hanging out with people who otherwise I wouldn't have found out if it was just based on um, glaring similarities. So do you think that your upbringing played a role in um, you having to just connect with people or because some, some, some of us may say, well, uh, this is my first time of moving to Canada. I don't understand the culture. I don't know how to network with people. I'm, I'm, I'm shy. What if they say no to me? And so many excuses, right? Mm, but how, what, what, was, it, was, it, was it because you have been coming to Canada before you finally um, decided to relocate permanently? Or was it something that you had to get outside of your comfort zone and make that move to connect with people can you take us through how you you do that it was to be honest more of the latter because if you think about a tourist i'm not having conversations with a white person when i'm on vacation with my family you know what i mean i'm just hanging out with my family in spaces where maybe the most conversation i'll have with somebody else other than my family or friends as a tourist would be can you please take a picture of us you know what i mean mm -hmm. and that was it so it was more of the latter and yes, I am what most people would consider an extrovert. But the mm -hmm. truth is, I still get really nervous in large spaces and in crowds. If you meet me at a networking event, for the first couple minutes, I'll be in a corner trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what is this place I'm at? Mm -hmm. And I'll probably just pick one or two people, go talk to them first, and then it will ripple that way. So even extroverts get shy, and you have that little butterfly in your tummy. But I had to tell myself that if I wanted to do things differently, and we'll speak about some mistakes that international students make, I had told myself, like, listen, if you really wanted to be comfortable, you should have stayed back in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So and I, so I knew that if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it all the way. Mm -hmm. And so with that, even me and my accent, me and saying words wrong, for instance, there's times when I'm in a presentation, I remember this one incident. Um, you know the name Regina? Mm -hmm. And the way we'll say, because we're British colonized, right? I was in a presentation and referring to the name Regina. And someone in the middle of the conversation, white guy, was like, hey, Jamie, it's Regina. And people laughed. And that a lot. And then obviously I was like, no, I'm talking about the name, but no one's listening to that. They're already laughing, right? And that alone, was some, that's some instances where people can now withdraw into their shell and say, I'm not putting myself out there because people are going to diss me. But I realized that the, the more I put myself out there, the, the sooner I can make those mistakes so that I can still um, and just enjoy the relationships I was making with other people. So it was putting myself in uncomfortable situations. There was this one time, actually, I went to this networking event. It was my first program um, in Humber. It was a, and we went to a book launch of an advertising leader. His name is David Ogilvie. He had written a book. And so, again, remember, only black girl in my program. So I stand out, even when I don't have a choice. So I went to this event and I was saying hi to different people. And it was so embarrassing that I asked this one lady and I said to her, because I'm more Niger, I'm a Nigerian person. So it's like, oh my God, you have a beautiful top. How much is it? And where did you get it? 
I didn't realize the cultural nuance that people in Canada usually don't ask that much questions about someone's personal style. Mm-hmm. It will be after that I was like, and she goes, oh, wow. Like she kind of had this lean back, like you're like a lot. And I'm like, shoot, that was not my intention. But then she laughed because a lot of people too have just been coming to her bland. Hey, my name is this. This is what I do. You know, the elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, hey girl, like what did you get that top? And so she laughed at first. She was taken aback at first, but then she laughed and realized I was just honestly trying to ask, connect with her. And so she's like, I don't know. My personal assistant got it for me. And with that, I felt shy because I could see her um, physical reaction to that. Mm-hmm. But then I went back to acting gray and very professional and then ended up leaving without collecting her contact because I was already like, oh, you already messed up. But then something in my spirit said, hey, Jane, go back and actually ask her for a contact. We had left the venue. I was walking to the bus stop. I went back though, got her contact information. And this was 2016 mm-hmm. or actually winter of 2015. Mm-hmm. And now she's my mentor. Five years after she and I have quarterly, monthly, weekly calls just to check on my career. And she's helped me with negotiating deals and stuff like that. And so that's just an example of how putting yourself out there and being uncomfortable can actually yield success down the line. And you mentioned um, that you made a mistake and you were able to realize the mistake and then correct it. How have you been able to make that correction going forward and apply it to other situations and gotten success out of it? The first bit, which is, which I've had to train myself on a lot Mm -hmm. is listening and observing, so to speak. So I put myself in situations a lot of times where I'm observing people and just seeing how they go around things. And that's usually what I'm doing in those networking events where I'm acting shy. I'm just watching how people dance around each other and how people approach conversations. And so that was how I was able to learn a lot about Canadian culture, by listening and observing and just watching how people act around people. But then also getting very comfortable with knowing that you're going to fail today. You're going to embarrass yourself today, Jamie. And that is okay. It's like, I expect it so that when it happens, I'm like, ah, there you are. I knew you were going to do something silly today. Mm-hmm. And so that I don't carry the weight of whatever happened on me. Like it's something that I, that I was born with or something I have to leave with. So a lot of times I anticipate myself like rolling my tongue in the wrong way or saying something. But also with that, even though I'm expecting it, getting ready to forgive myself for it really fast. Because a lot of times you can just sit in the corner, sit with yourself and what had happened because you don't know any better, but then that actually takes away from other experiences you could have had with that time is sitting sulking. So a lot of, I'm learning and I'm still learning this to just quickly forgive myself because I'm on the journey to living my authentic truth and you're gonna make mistakes. So I always say like success is going from failure to failure without feeling like a failure. And so that's how I go around that. Okay. You've, you've been able to navigate your career in different directions, right? And did you know that you were going to be in this career that you have right now when you came to Canada? And if not, how have you been able to navigate that to this point? That's a good question. And the answer is no, I definitely no. And I, I actually try to reflect and think about what Jane in 2015 was thinking. And the answer is no, I didn't know I'll be here, to be honest. I knew that I'd be having fun. I'll be impacting lives, making money and living my best life. I just didn't have a job title or a job description as to what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And that is why I have committed to telling myself is I will make a plan pray about it and then just commit the way it happens into God because I'm a strong believer anyways in that. So it's like commit your plans to God and he'll figure it out. And so I really wanted to be in advertising and digital marketing mm-hmm. when I first moved. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was on well on that path after a couple internships. And even though I was the best student in class, it was very hard to get internships. I was always the last one. And I'll go to agencies and media agencies and it's barely any black people. And was, I literally one time even got a verbal offer saying, you, well, we're going to hire you. Well, we need to see a work permit. At the time, I was, on my ma- I was in my master's. And this was an advertising agency downtown Toronto. 
it was for an account executive role. I had driven in the middle of the night because if you're an international student, you know the process about getting your work permit, right? I had driven in the middle of the night to get my work permit from the border because I had gotten this verbal offer. Only, and it was a rainy night, I can remember, Kingston, Ontario. <laughs> Only for them to rescind the offer the next day saying that they felt like I was overqualified and I couldn't juggle it. So I felt like I was doing the best. Like I literally would go to networking events with, what was, what was the business card? The business card was learning. But I had a portfolio. I had mini book, um, what are those things called? Where you have um, book savers, those things you put in between a book made of my face, my achievements, my name. Like I was networking hard and I was a great student, but I kept getting the no's or the no internships. So I thought this is not working. And to be honest, when I looked at, looked at the average salary you make an entry level in advertising, it wasn't great. So I was like, wait, are you doing all of this to earn not much than what you deserve? Didn't make sense. And so I always wanted to do my master's anyways. And so when I applied to my master's and actually came out of it, I knew I wanted to do something in sales helping. I've always loved relationship management and people management. And so sales was good. Um, it was a good entry point. I started in recruitment. Um, after recruiting, it was a recruitment to sales type of role. I did sales for a little bit. And now I'm obviously um, senior and chief of staff at BPTN, but that also started from a sales role at BPTN. So no, I didn't know that I would be here, but I was able to, I made a plan though, my five-year growth plan, and I was able to just listen to what the environment was telling me at every stage. Was I giving my 100? Great. Was the opposite side or the environment giving me its 100? Nope. Okay, I needed to change. So that was always what was my way of navigating next steps but also just trying to remind myself of what I'm worth so that I don't ever undervalue myself in the place that I am. And that was how I was able to, how I got to where I am now. So you mentioned that you worked as an, um, as a sales stroke recruitment, um, personnel, if I would, if that's the right word to call it, mm -hmm. then you transition into the chief of staff at BPTN. How did that transition happen? Because both roles are not similar, um, but you were able to make that transition. Yeah, okay. So I have always been a person who loves to serve, mm -hmm. right? And tell me what you need and if I have capacity, I'm doing it, right? So when I was doing my, so I started in recruitment in this tech consulting firm. I've always loved being in tech and I totally understand tech speak, but I also am very business oriented. So working in a tech consulting firm, fell right on, on Pali. So when I started in this recruitment role, I would interview 15 to 20 people a day. It was exhausting. And then I moved into sales where I was now helping place those consultants into our companies and partners. But I, I love the aspect of relationship management, helping partners solve their goals by giving them the right people. It was a great match. But in that role, there was really a lack of diversity. And I was saying stereotypically how people would hire the best talent they could find and not the best talent that's really out there. And so in tech, it's a lot of referrals. People are just hiring from the same cycle, um, circles. And that wasn't enough for me. I wanted to see more. And I was pushing for more, but I wasn't getting it. And so it was February of 2018 or 2019, 2019. It was Black History Month here in North America. I had gone with a couple colleagues to a BPTN event. What's BPTN? And just think, yes, BPTN. What's BPTN? What's the Black Professionals in Tech Network. Okay. The largest network of Black tech professionals in North America and the globe. There were over 10,000 members strong. I say that now because I'm part of the company, but at the time, I just went to a BPTN event because mm. it just said, are you a Black professional or do you work in tech? Then you want to come here from this amazing speakers. I remember showing up to that event with my colleagues and the whole time those amazing speakers on stage, like they were giving a fire conversation. And I was just looking around the room. I'm like, oh my Lord, there's all these black people in this city, in this Toronto. So I just knew that I wanted to be part of this thing, whatever it was. So fast forward to July of that year, um, BPTN was hosting another event. I went with a colleague of mine and that was when I met the CEO and founder. And so I literally just introduced myself but I noticed again from listening and observing, people were introducing themselves and saying what they were doing. But I also knew that, this, that he had started his company recently. And so obviously he's in the growth stage. So 
So I asked him and I said to him, I'm like, what, what are you looking for? Now you've grown your company, you're probably looking for help. What help do you need in taking it to the next level? And then he shared with me that he was looking for people who have sales experience, understands tech, and from a diversity landscape. And so he had pretty much just told me his challenges. And as a salesperson, it's my job to find a solution that fits. And I was the right solution. So I set up a coffee chat with him and the rest is history, literally. So I started in BBTN as an account manager, as a senior account manager, helping, um, helping attract partners who are looking to have a diverse workforce. And so I was leading all that. Um, we had a big summit. So we also host something called a Be Future Summit, which is the largest tech conference for black professionals and allies, typically happens in October. And with that, there was so much demand and the company was growing and our founder would just needed more space to do more stuff. And I'm very well-rounded. I, I have an IT background, I've done recruitment, I'm doing sales. And so the chief of staff position was an elevation on the promotion that came in January to show that encompassing of the generalization that I have from my background. And that's how I got here. Wow, that's very impressive. So in other words, your, uh, the sum total of your past experiences plus your own ability to tell a story well helped you to get to this current role. Plus the fact that you were not concerned about just networking, but you were networking purposefully. Yes, pretty much. I would not, I would not eliminate the factor of grace because I remember that day I almost did not go to that event. Right. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm tired. It's the end of work. Like after a long day, like another networking event, but I was like, I need to meet this man and a couple other people I wanted to meet in the room. So I had a mental note. And so that was definitely one of the um, few things. And instead of just approaching to say, meet me just for the sake of it, was asking people what they're working on, what they need help with, and to see if I could help or at least refer someone else who could help. And so that was how I usually would approach networking after the two minutes of me wondering what's going on here in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's impressive. Um, so let's go back to um, your, what you do outside of work, which is, um, the journey of Canada, um, that the company that you have that serves over 10,000 um, newcomers, um, both professionals and students and entrepreneurs. Yes. In your years of experience of doing this and working, um, doing your thing at journey of Canada, what are some of the challenges that, you, that you've discovered that newcomers have and how can some of these challenges be solved? Newcomers and challenges, there's a lot of it. Um, so I'll, I'll say I've seen newcomers and international students make. Um, the first challenge is assuming uh, the negative factor of a label. A lot of newcomers, and, and one of my mentors always says this, I'm catching one for Robbie, she always says this, she goes, a lot of newcomers see it as starting over um, in, in the new place versus I'm just shifting track. So I look at it like it's two parallels. You were on one track and you just did an adjacent move, adjacent move, and you're going up again. Or is even higher in some situations, even, even if it doesn't look like it. So a lot of times as I think about it like this, think about a catapult that you pull back for a plunge and so but i've seen a lot of newcomers come with that timid shy um representation of themselves as i just got here you know how like in nigerian term we say jolly girls come i just got here it's like and then always having their hands at the bottom like give me versus i'm here to change your life like i'm i'm coming with this global perspective that you need right so that is First and foremost, thinking about their label from a limited mindset versus an abundance mindset. So, and with that flows a lot of other um, mistakes and challenges. One of such would then be now moving from your home country, but simulating your home country here in the sense of you are not meeting other people other than the people you, you would typically hang out where you're with, where you're from. The problem with that too is you're not you're not representing yourself right in this new economy because you're limiting the number of opportunities you would have. One, you're not learning about other people. And sometimes people will then share 
about their misfortune and limit your own dreams. I've seen that a lot. Like there's people who tell you, oh, as a newcomer, you have to accept jobs like A, B, C, right? Forgetting like their story might be different from yours. You might have had way more experience, way more certifications. People will tell you things like you have to work in a call center. You have to work in a grocery store. Every newcomer does that. That is not true. But if you're not hanging out with other communities, you might not know. And that would be your truth, right? A lot of challenges newcomers mistakes, um, make as mistakes too. On the flip side, which can happen to people like myself who want to integrate so fast, is forgetting that they're also still a newcomer or an international student. And so there's um, legalities and um, documentation that you need to be abreast of. There are people who have missed deadlines on important things like extending their study permit and have had to be sent back, right? There's people who have missed important things like filing taxes. So those are things as a, when you're supposed to and you know, also redeeming benefits as a newcomer. Um, there's a lot of those things that people do not know that I always share on my channel and things like that. Um, another thing people don't also do too is budgeting right. Like you see some people as like, oh, I lived in a big city. Say I lived in Lagos in Nigeria, for instance, or in Mumbai. So I need to live in a big city too. Forgetting where their budget is at the time and when they're moving, right? Like what industry are you in? Is, is their job, um, is the industry available for newcomers? What's the competition like to get in? What is the cost of living in that city? A lot of people are not considering those factors and you're just up in and going but also i have to say too is like forgetting to use your newcomer label as a positive thing so a lot of people will use it as the negative thing like i have said and not focus on using it as a positive thing as that global leader with diverse perspectives and i'm here to make your life better so that goes out a couple of things for sure okay you mentioned that you know i'm not taking those survival jobs but how about in situations where um people come in here with their family they need to pay their bills they need to put food on that table put a roof over their head and they need the money so how should they navigate that what should they do so i would okay let me rephrase because i didn't say do not take survival jobs I'm saying don't sit in the mentality if you think you deserve more. But what I always tell, so because my business, I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching is you always have to have a plan, right? So I do this starting from, first of all, the first plan is for some people who, oh my God, I want to leave my country. I want to leave my country. They've been saying that for five years. When do you want to arrive by? And then you can work backwards. We start with that. Then you've gotten your invitation to apply. You've gotten your um, admission and your study permit. You're going to go to school, for instance. With students, it's easier because you have 20 hours to work and you can do anything on the side. In your case, like on the example you just gave me of someone moving with a family, right? Mm -hmm. I would say in your plan of when you wanted to move, you would and, have... And, and the, reason, the reason why I asked you that is because you, you work as a, as a coach to help newcomers coming to Canada yeah. because if you didn't do that, I would have probably just asked you based on your experience as an international student, because I prefer that the best person that can talk to something is someone who has lived it. Exactly. So, and it's both ways. And what I usually say is that plan is very important for sure. And so if you're moving with a family, you would have for, I know the application process usually for an express entry takes average of six months. It takes you a while to gather your documents. So usually you know a year out that you're planning to relocate. So I tell people to save a whole lot, depending on the cost of living on the city you're planning to actually reside in. However, we understand that realities are different and you know, we all know you're not going to land today and get a job. And so you can, you should actually take into consideration the type of newcomer jobs you can do. The difference is how long are you going to do that for? Because I've seen, David, a couple people who will show up here and because it pays okay, minimum wage, it pays the bills, then they do it for two, three years versus this is what I need to do for six months. And in that job, I'm going to make my job search a project because people forget that a job search is work on its own. I have mm -hmm. a tracking sheet. I'm going to meet this person and meet that person and have a conversation about this. Because if you don't have a deadline or a plan or a timeline to anything, you will lose track of time. And for and and when as as 
that continues to happen, you keep forgetting your worth and your value and all the experiences you bring in. And that's when that negative mindset will creep in as to I am just a newcomer versus I'm doing what I have to do to get by today because I know where I'm going to go, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the difference in attaching a negative stereotype to yourself with regards to label versus putting a plan around things. And as an international student, it's the same thing. Have a plan. When do you want to do stuff by? We understand it's only 20 hours and you're here to study. So yes, you can do that. But I also tell people too is that there is also within that frame, people always say it's call center or grocery stores. No, there's a bunch of people who I know who formed their own jobs for themselves, myself included. When I was a student, David, I was making hair. I would go to people's houses. I would make wigs. I made thousands of dollars. I was able to pay part of my student debt I studied in three schools. So I, I paid more than 100K in tuition in Canada. And a lot of that came from the work I was doing on the side. Stuff you wouldn't see on my resume. I did a whole lot of hair, right? I also started a company that was making natural butters and I would whip shea butter and sell to people because I have flat feet. I'm not trying to stand in a grocery store for 10 hours. So the truth is you have to make a plan that works for you and not just take a story that someone else has told you is the only way. And so that was the reframing I just wanted to share. Yeah, you mentioned that you had side businesses, you worked hard while you were going to school. But what formed that mindset for you? Was it because of the people you surrounded yourself with? Because you emphasize that too, that, you know, sometimes people, other people tell them a different story and they believe it, right? Mm-hmm. But, but how come you never had you know, that kind of conversation and you didn't believe it. What, what was different for you? One thing that I've always had, and I didn't realize it in so many words, is I'm always very curious about my potential and the things I can and cannot do. Growing up as a child, when they tell me, Jenny, you can't do that, my eyes would perk up. I'm like, ah, it means I can try, right? And um, so that was one thing. It's like when people say you can't do it, I'm always like, I'm going to try and see. I, I let me fall. It's the reason I have so many scars, David. Like I try every sport that people say you can't do. And just to see if I don't die, it's doable. But also I come from a family of serious hard workers. Growing up, my mom, and as we speak, my mom probably has like three things she's doing right now. She works in a in our revenue agency. She has an event planning business. She has a couple shops and she runs a not-for-profit. So I've always been around entrepreneurial people, especially like my mom and it's really strong women who can juggle a lot of things. So I've never, when I tell people is I don't get bored, I mean it. There's always something to do and a way to serve people. And so coming to Canada, I already knew that I wasn't just going to study and chill. Even though my dad, being an engineering dad, I said, you should not work if you're focusing on your studies. I knew I was going to work. It might not look like what work looks like for a lot of people, but it's because I knew that I needed to make my own money. I needed to be able to support my family. But I've always just had it with me. And in my circles too, I always say that I am very selective about my circle and the type of energy I have around me. You will not catch me hanging around with naysayers. Like if the first time with me, you're telling me, I don't think you can do it. Well, probably, that's probably going to be the last time we actually hang out. I need people who be like, yo, that's scary, but try. And so I'm very protective of my space and my energy because my energy is a lot and it's very intimidating to some people, but it's also very inspiring for a lot of people. So I protect my energy and make sure the people who I surround myself with are people who challenge me and who I can learn from. So I have a tight circle of friends who would always like would feed off each other and say, hey, what are you up to? Hey, what are you up to? To make sure that we're using the time we have to actually maximize our potential. And so that's the piece about diversifying your crowd and not sitting around with naysayers. If people constantly bring you down, how are you going to deal with that? Right? <laughs> so that is tip how I navigate my energy and how I channel it into doing all the things I've done. Thank you. Um, in the course of this conversation, you mentioned that your mom is a strong woman. Yeah. And you also said you diversify your crowd. So I'm going to take it back to your current role um, in, at, BP, at BPTN, which is the Black Professional in Tech Network. Because of your role, you are exposed to so many organizations. You will have the opportunity to see into their talent pool and what they're looking for. How do you think that 
women can mm -hmm. play a bigger role in tech and also people of black indigenous and people of color how do you think that they can play a bigger role and what are some of the things that is not helping us to play that big role in that space right now this is an amazing question that i couldn't have waited for um how can women and people of the bipoc community play a bigger role I'm going to start with the reality that the systems that exist in North America are racist and sexist. It's the truth. Nonetheless, there is so much potential. I even see this recent Black Lives Matter movement as an opportunity for us to invigorate and to, and to fill the space with so much melanin and awesomeness. So yes, there is definitely a space for more women in tech and more women in leadership. I honestly wish there was more of that representation, but from an individual standpoint, I would say we need to raise our hands to more things and hold people accountable. If someone is, companies are out there not putting statements about the number of representation they want to have, the quotas they want to have, I personally, I don't feel bad about being a diversity hire because I know I'm gonna get in there and crush it and you'll be like, yo, this is just the best person, period. Right? So I want people to put their hands up for more things. Women specifically, there's all the research that says that um, a woman will make sure she checks every box on a job description before she presses apply versus a man who will be like two of the three or two of the 10. I'm good. I can do it. So it's just recognizing that limiting belief and the fact that you may not know it all, but you're going to show up there like you do with that confidence. A lot of things you can read up on. A lot of things are available online. Like, I, even though I have a technical degree, I'm te teaching myself now some tableau visualization. Before, when I got my interview for BPTN about sales enablement, I legit, the week before, just took a crash course on sales enablement and what it is really. And that was what I could speak to with so much confidence in that interview because now that I understood the theory and I know how hard I work, I can deliver on anything. Right? So it's just showing up with that presence because a lot of times it's selling yourself with the confidence of, I'm going to figure this out and you're going to love it. Is what I want a lot more women specifically, especially black women to raise their hands to and be okay doing. But also very importantly, knowing how to negotiate their worth. That is a hard conversation a lot of times. It's don't say, oh, based on what I think I need, go go in there and say those zeros because you're deserving. And if it doesn't work for them, it doesn't work for them. But the people will respect you for asking for your worth. And so yes, diversify your network, ask people for coffee chats. It's Oh, another thing I've learned that the black community and women don't do a lot is you have an interview with a company and you're waiting until after the interview to tell somebody you know at that company about how the interview went. Hell no. White folks, the second somebody reaches out to them, will reach out and say, hey, Jamie, I know you work at this company. I have an interview. Can you coach me? It is totally okay to do that. And the more you do that, because there's things like, there's nuances like, at a company, maybe they refer to water as H2O. And you just say water like everybody else. But if you show up to that interview and say, so I love to drink H2O, they'll be like, oh, we see you here because you already understand the lingo. And that can only come from asking somebody internally to coach you. So it's totally okay to ask people in, inside an organization to coach you, to refer you. It's not a thing of help me. It's like, I'm about to be the best thing that ever happened to your organization. Help me make that happen. And so with that confidence is what I'm asking people to have more of. I'm definitely learning it myself. And that's how I've seen it like show up like you have it. You don't have to have it to show up like you have it is what I'll tell people of our community for sure. So um, basically flipping the, the switch and telling a different story. Exactly. All right. And um, talking about mentors, what role do you think that mentorship play in the career success of, of people? Huge. Can you um, give us an example of how that has helped you in your career or... Um, someone yep. you know or yep for sure um so the first bit is this is how i think about it you will not go to the olympics without a coach mm -hmm. a lot of people especially if you're christian you wouldn't go marry someone without premarital counseling or something of that sort so it's also your career is something that you're going to own for a long time you definitely want to have someone or a group of people 
who are second eyes or first eyes on a lot of decisions you'll be making to bring that down. When I first moved to Canada, I was on a hunt for a mentor. People don't tell you about how hard it is to find a mentor. And I realized I was like, on people like, hey, you want to adopt me? Hey, and then people are just like, oh my God, like, sis, chill. And so there's, there's all the times when someone has taken me on for a time in the life, they probably helped me get one internship and then poof, they disappeared. And I got comfortable with knowing that sometimes mentors and friends and people like anything else, sometimes are just for a season. So that's one thing. You have to recognize the, the impact of someone's life for when it happened, right? So I've had different mentors over the course of time. Remember the lady I mentioned who actually just became my mentor after talking about her jacket or her top? She's been very instrumental in a lot of decisions. So it's one thing to know your achievements and accolades. And personally, I think everyone should always write down their successes at work, have a Google slide, a PowerPoint, or a Word document. Anytime someone says congratulations, kudos on that, note it down. Because there are times when those limiting beliefs will come or when you're looking for the next opportunity and you don't remember why you're great, those are things to actually use. But the good thing about a mentor or a coach is, for instance, when I was having my interviews and we're doing a prep, and then she said, what have you thought about as you're asking rates? And I said something low, and she goes, what? What is the average? And I said what the average was, but I was also leaning more towards the meat of the average. She goes, why? You are exceptional. How are you going to say you're the best at something and not go for the high part of the average? And because she's a leader in industry and she knows fully well my experience, I trust that she would know that if I'm saying I'm worth this, then I'm worth this. So I actually went into that interview, negotiated based on that. I actually added a couple more figures so that we could land back there. And it was possible. But if it was just me alone, David, I would have done the meet and I'll probably have gotten less, right? So having that mentor and that sponsor, could, like well, that mentor in that case, that could tell me ahead of time what to prep for and reinforce my worth and value based on my experience was definitely helpful in getting me what I was worth. Because the truth about it sometimes is people just want to get in. They're like, oh my God, I'll just take whatever to get in. Forgetting that it's, you set precedence. Raises are usually a couple thousands after your first salary. So mm -hmm. the only time you can get an incremental change would be if you have to switch jobs. So it's always good in negotiation. It's called anchoring. It's always good to anchor and start early and have alternatives. Have a couple offers because then you can walk in there fly like this is what i want and if you can't give it to me this is my partner and we call partners our best alternative to a negotiated agreement i can speak in this forever but it's that kind of helps reinforce um your worth obviously having a mentor having second eyes knowing your value but also having other offers or other potential offers on the table thank you so much for the, the insights you've you've given us so far you you've you've said a lot of fantastic things, but you've not told us about um, the time when you failed. Can you tell us your biggest failure and what you learned from it? Okay, or a time you embarrassed yourself. David, like if you if you, I think we should do a session on if you really knew me, you would know that I embarrass myself a lot. <laughs> like it's it's something I've gotten really accustomed to. I for some reason I end up being in some type of limelight. It's my personality, it's my aura. It took me a long time, David, to actually accept that it is who I am. Cause growing up, I've always been this bubbly kid and I've always told, Oh my God, sit down. You're a little loud. Calm down. Calm down was a trigger word for me for a long time. But now I'm just like, I'm sorry. Is my light too bright for you? So being a dancer too, there's times that I've literally fallen down on stage in front of thousands of people. There's times when I've forgotten my words. So I've gotten a lot of embarrassment. Um, but one failure that I can think of, especially being an international student or starting as an international student, would be when I was moving to Canada, I was a stellar student. Like I had a second class opera, like, you know, the type of second class where it's like 4.4, close to first class, but you're like, I don't want to be a nerd. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so when I was applying to my master's programs, like obviously didn't think I was going to get denied from any because I'm like, I'm, I'm awesome, right? So I had applied to maybe 10 schools. So think about all that money. And one after the other, I was hearing, no, we regret to inform you. Yeah, that statement was a trigger. And so it taught me a lot because I was, I didn't understand how I was feeling to get into school. School was one thing I did well, like school was my jam. So um, what that taught me though was the power of information. 
because it took years after to find it that the reason I wasn't getting into those programs, which were digital media, was because these schools here in North America look at digital media from an arts perspective and didn't understand how someone with a tech background was trying to do an arts program, right? But at the time, I had internalized that for a little bit, and I was like, you know what? Thankful for the information. This is part of the reason I started my YouTube business, to share this information so people don't have to go through failures like that. But again, like I always say, I've gone through a lot of failures, but I just give myself grace to say, this is part of life. And you're human. You're supposed to make mistakes. Go from failure to failure without feeling like a failure. That's it. All right. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And um, so give our audience a parting word. So a couple of things I will leave with you is to wake up each day and reaffirm yourself in the amazing person that you are that it is definitely okay to be many things in one. And it's okay to not have anyone who has exactly that because they're all taking one. And you actually don't have to look like it to actually have it for your career. You don't have to look like a VP or sound like a director or sound like that project manager. You can go in and reframe what that really looks like for you. I'd say wake up every day with an insatiable curiosity about your potential and the things you can change and the impact you can make and be comfortable being uncomfortable, which is a tough one. And with that, I would say I'd love to see you online. Please join me on my YouTube channel. It's Jamie Booz. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you so much, Jenny, for this. I learned a lot and I'm sure that our audience and our listeners would also learn a lot from this conversation. Thank you. I keep Thank trying. you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fresh Start. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with someone you know and love. Please go ahead and subscribe on any platform you listen to your podcast. And also please take a moment to leave us a review because that would help us to reach more audience. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at freshstartorb. If you know any newcomer you think would be a good fit to interview for the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please go to www.thefreshstartorb.com to nominate someone. We appreciate you and remember, no matter how hard the past is, you can always begin again. Take care and have a great week.